So if we really want to reinvent the country, we have to do something drastic, which has not been done before in a way that it has not been done before. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Social Convos. I'm here with my co-host Jean-Luc. I'm Diego. Today we don't have a guest. It's going to be the two of us. And I see a pool behind you, Jean-Luc. Did you build a new pool? Yeah, I reinvented myself and did a whole landscaping in the back garden. No, just kidding. I'm currently on vacation with my family. And for that reason, we have a kind of a different setting. It was, it wasn't really a struggle. It took for like five minutes to find a proper place at the, at the pool to be able to join in today. One important thing, internet seems to be holding out. So that's Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. Compliments to the resort that I'm in. And the quality of the internet is exceptionally well. I did not bring my podcasting mic and my setup and everything. So I don't know how it would hold up with that. But I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy. I mean, it's hard not to be happy when you're on vacation. And it's hard not to be happy when you're doing social convos. So yeah, we do continue on with social convos. Because last year around this time, we took a break. And we took a break because I had scheduling and travel conflicts. And I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a burnout. But... I did find struggles to continue going and we took a short, short break. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's not just you because you went to travel first. You had uh, a lot of travels and I had other travel issues and I had to plan for travel in you know, a few months later as well. So it's kind of us cascading on each other. So yeah, it's and not there was just some you. disappointment as well because we were supposed to head out together as well. Yeah, <laughs> we had set up a couple of trips to to go to some of them. I was gonna go with a different group. You weren't gonna go, and then we had one trip to plan together to to go together, and that one kind of canceled. And this year, I also canceled the trip to San Diego because in the end, you make choices, and I think that's today's episode. What today's episode is about? I want to quickly introduce today's episode, but first I want to talk a little bit about something that's currently going on. I'm, a, I'm about to, to publish a blog post and I'm not sure how to integrate the blog post with my website, with Substack and with Hive. That's currently my struggle at the moment. I want to publish them on all three platforms for three different reasons. And I'm currently not sure what the best approach is. I don't want to post the same content on all three platforms. Like, hey, it's there, it's there, it's there. And then it's kind of like you can read it wherever you want. I'm also not sure about kind of taking like an abstract or like the first couple of paragraphs from the text on one of them and then link to the other. And that's where I'm stuck at the moment. How do you feel about that in general from a, from a, from a reader's perspective? So from one, the first thing that comes to mind before I answer it from a reader's perspective is what's your home base, right? Let's see, you mentioned Substack, Hive, your website. And the other thing is how easy is it for a reader? to read something on your website and how easy is it to post, you know, on all three platforms. So from a reader's perspective, things I read the most are usually when I get it in an inbox. So Substack. So here's the thing. So from a, from a reader's perspective, like Substack, they really changed the game. I have to give it to them. Yeah, I need to like. Yeah. really go through the updates because this Substack podcasting is, now. So I, I, yeah. I'm thinking Substack for us. is insane. Substack is insane. So from a reader's perspective, Substack, that's just the way to go, right? And then that's the first one. 
And then the second one is I want to have it on my website because if you're going to do the personal branding, you want to have actually. So traditionally speaking, your, your website would be the online home. So from a personal brand perspective, it should be the website, right? Well, on the other end, Medium and Substack also have the option to add your domain to it. So it could be integrated as well. So that's where that's I'm the other option. Yeah, that's where I'm thinking. It, it, it requires a bit more effort to do the initial setup. And I, I think you'll need a subscription as well. Yeah, Something like that. That's fine. Subscription, yeah. General subscription is fine. And then the other thing that I'm really wondering about is like, and Hive is, of course, for the instant monetization, right? So this, this is kind of becoming a fight between a concept, which is a really nice concept, social media and blogging, where you get paid for it. Whereas Substack in the end, you can do subscriptions. And I could do something like a $1 subscription. I mean, like, if, if people are willing to pay for like OnlyFans to support somebody or Patreon to support somebody $5 a month, there should be people willing to pay $5 a month as well for good quality written blog posts. So that's definitely something to consider. So right now I'm pushing more towards kind of integrating Substack into my website or at least redirecting the blog from my website to Substack. The only thing you still have is deplatformization, like if that situation arises yeah. or if something happens to Substack while they they can't afford, and, and there's data loss. For, yeah, speaking, speaking of that, because there was yeah. recent news, like with all tech companies, you know, the, the way they acquire users is the, the, the free model, right? The, the onboard, they, they get white market share because it's free and they raise capital the first two, three years. And I recently saw that they were raising capital again. And then you start thinking, right, what's the next play for Substack? Are they going to, you know, at a certain point, they need to get cash flow in. And how are they as a company going to do that? And how will that have an effect on the creators on that platform? So then I was hesitant again. Yes, there's lots of new futures, but it's announcement. Yeah, the futures, you know, the future capital, yeah. venture capital raise kind of got me hesitant again. Like, okay. So we have now, we have podcasts on YouTube, which we should definitely leverage. Definitely, yeah, definitely, right. definitely. I already leverage. made the, the podcast for 2020 and 2021. And okay. 20, no, we started in 2021. Yeah. And from 2021 and 2022. There's Twitter Spaces, things. which we haven't even touched upon. Twitter Spaces is also there. Yeah. It also has some newsletter system as well. You have Substack, which is kind of like, I asked this question. I, I'm definitely going to write a blog post about this because I think in 2018, which is five years ago, I asked Chris Docker this question, like, because we were talking about these models and I asked him the question, like, do you think in the future pe people will be willing to pay for an email? We had this discussion like five years ago. Back then it was like ridiculous, but he said something during his talk in Social Media Marketing World 2028. 20, 2018, that made me wonder like, hey, are people going to be willing to pay money for an email subscription? And that was 2018. So that's kind of that. Yeah, it, it's, it's basically content behind a paywall, regardless of which yeah. medium or platform you use. It's basically yeah. a paywall. For but we had, to wait for, we had to wait for Patreon. We had to wait for OnlyFans. Only yes. for other types of platforms. To facilitate. Like, facility to be like, hey, this, this could work for us as well. And I think that's also because today I want to talk about reinventing yourself. And the reason why I bring these kind of topics up is because eventually we all have to reinvent ourselves in some way or another. And I spoke about this topic with Doreen Maureen Van Damme, one mm -hmm. of our very first guests on this show. And she invited me to her podcast, Tragedy Talks, back in November of last year. And we had this I haven't discussion. checked it out yet. Hmm. You should definitely, you, you should definitely check it. it out. No, that's, that's also the thing that I'm going to do. The next <laughs> blog post is going to be a link. It's going to be a link to that, to that, to that podcast. Because then we have distribution. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, that's basically the idea. And that's, and that's where I want to go. So that's basically talking about situations that you have to adapt and like adapt is like the easiest way 
But reinventing is something else because your career changes. You reinvent yourself. Like a lot of the guests that we have on social conference, like even last week, it's an, it's an MIT alumni who became yeah. a dance studio owner and writer of a, a children's book on dancing and culture. Like it's a reinvention, right? You start off your career in a corporate setting and a lot of our guests have started off their career in corporate settings. We have had a guest who reinvented himself kind of in, in the later years saying like, hey, for the next five years, I want to, every year I want to buy a company. I mean, these yeah. kind of, these are reinventions. And Green asked me, how much are the reinventions connected something to some like big, big time changes? Like you moving to another country, for instance, then you have to reinvent. It makes sense. Or COVID, you have to reinvent. But how much, how often do we reinvent ourselves during your lifespan, like, like your life? So I want to ask you the question, like, how many times do you feel you have reinvented yourself? Well, I think to answer this, it's easier to break it down in like phases of your life and also the, the areas of your life that you reinvent. Because when we're talking about reinventing, yeah, you, you can have a like one, you know, 180 or 360 deg degree reinvention, 360 meaning you're basically back to the same place. <laughs> But a, a 180 degree reinvention with, with the example you mentioned from last week's guest of Suchi being an MIT alumni and now being a writer, that's a career reinvention. But then again, I, in general, I'm talking about yeah. big reinvention. I'm not talking about, wow, you should. But then again, if you completely change your lifestyle, that's so also a, a reinvention. A reinvention. That, that's going yeah, it could also be like you, you lose, you know, 30 you, you, pounds. You, you, you change your diet, you yeah. change your complete diet, lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You you become, even if you become a vegan, like for instance, or you decide yeah. to actively play sports and you've never done it before, it's kind of a reinvention as well. So that's why I find it kind of difficult to put a stark, like hard reinvention moment. But I do can find myself in, you know, Dorian's comment on, you know, a, a certain time or event that happens that you, you look back and see how that affects your life. So if I look but back. Gradually. Yeah. Let's, let's focus on the first question. Like how often do you feel you've reinvented yourself? I'd say in recent memory, maybe four, three or four times. And with recent memory, I've been since adult, you know, Adult responsibilities. <laughs> so that would so, be like once in so, every three, every two, three years. Yeah, I, I guess that the first re uh, reinvention will, would be, you know, after your formal education, your study, and going yeah. into, you know, work mode. You know, you need to get paid to be able to provide for yourself. That that that's that's the first reinvention. I yeah. I guess that's a, a reinvention that most people would go through. Yeah. Well, I and think then, the first one would be going from middle, from, from, from primary school to secondary school. I yeah, but that would be the first one. <laughs> so, and, I mean, these, these, like, you know, I do want to jump into that one. I think we underestimate that, like skills, especially social skills that you build during those time frames that you can. I, I agree, well. but I, I want to, you know, uh, cut it off right there because the reason I don't go pre, I'd say adult or adolescent that range. Yes, it's different phases of your childhood, your upbringing that kind of teaches you stuff about life. But that's also the, the, the period where you kind of develop yourself, you develop your brain, develop your habits, and that that's part of the upbringing. And when I hear reinventing yourself, is you're already conscious of that, that upbringing that is already embedded in your system. And then you consciously based on outside forces or inward, you know, motivation, that's a conscious reinvention. So that, that's kind of how I want to frame that, that statement of you, reinventing yourself. Because I, I read recently, basically, the, the brain doesn't fully develop until you're at least 25 to 30. It's usually in that range that your brain fully develops. So that's why when, after your 30s, that's actually prime time when you have, you know, 
your full cognitive ability to basically make yeah, certain decisions because you have all that experience and development under your belt. And I'd say it's the later phases in life that you get the stark reinventions. And that's why if you think about our guest from a few weeks ago, who's buying companies until yeah. he's 80, that, 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 that's the reinventions, I'd say. Okay. You're, you're getting a preach from, from Danny for that one. <laughs> I could really jump into an earlier question by Gregory. Like we were discussing like cross-platform and isn't, and his question, isn't it common practice to cross post all content on all platforms? I, I used to do that. And then one of my reinventions at a certain point was I realized like people follow or connect with me on different platforms for different reasons. So, and I'm very, I have a very broad scope. So I've decided, and also the algorithm plays a, a, a large part in it as well. So because of the algorithm playing a large part of it as well, I've, I've kind of diversified my social media platforms. And I decided like, listen, I'm, I'm going to use YouTube only for sports and it's going to be in Dutch. I don't care what other people think. It's going to be in Dutch. I'm not going to change it. It's for sports. That's also, I'm wearing a Shaquille from Sikha or Kukumat shirt. He's already, it says future world champion, but he's already a world champion at the moment. But sports is YouTube. Suriname related content is Facebook. Work-related content is LinkedIn. Web3-related content is Twitter. And no, and I feel like I'm, I'm missing all that. Yeah, Instagram. I haven't decided on Instagram what I'm good. I've kind of decided, but I haven't committed to it yet. So I've definitely decided to split them up as for what are the, what does the platform lean more towards that fits what I want to do. And it's difficult because I used to cross-platform everything, like going, going all out. And I think I haven't mentioned TikTok yet, but with TikTok, it's going to be a combination of... TikTok is going to become the closest thing to Instagram Reels and, and Stories. But I think Instagram, Instagram will finally end up being the platform where most of it gets together for some reason. And, and just a sidetrack real quick, I, I've seen like a crazy amount of shorts on YouTube recently. They have been really pushing it in the algorithm. The moment I open well, my subscription, yeah. it's only shorts. So yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure how that played out. I, I mean, I'm amazed with the creativity of some of the creators. Because also, I, I checked it's out insane. the YouTube requirements because shorts is not now also a prerequisite to become monetizable on YouTube. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's changing the, the whole... So, and this is, why you have to, this is why you have to reinvent yourself yeah, as well. Like this is a, the external factors that, that create rein, reinvention. And I've been, I'm trying to figure out as well, how many times I reinvent. Yeah. So coming back to yeah. um, my question or, or your question to me, I'd say, yeah, or if I go through the life cycle, you know, start after university, start company, start trying different things, exploring different avenues. So uh, how do you have to, how did you have to reinvent yourself from, that's an interesting topic, going from working for a company to founding your own company. How is this, that reinvention? How did that shape? I just went straight into, I, I didn't work for a company. So I, I wouldn't call it reinvention. I'd say, I'd say reinvention or evolution from a study mode. That that's the first phase. How did that happen? It's a lot of trial and error, a lot of putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation of, you know, actually engaging with people, going for meetings and nothing coming out of those meetings. It's basically <laughs> just trying. And then you, you start to recognize patterns and see what works for you. And it's basically, as you put it so often, when you say, talk to young entrepreneurs, show me your first 10, 100 sales, right? So that, that, that's the, the first phase you, you're going to go through. You have to build some kind of pedigree. Like, even if you're not, like, if, even if you're like a non-pedigree entrepreneur, you have to build some kind of pedigree. Yeah. I find it interesting because in this sense, we're from different generations. Yeah. To be honest, that's where, like, we never talk, we never talk about our age gap because we never feel like there's an age gap. 
But this You're is definitely old. A, yeah, this is definitely a different generational ch- difference. So I'm, I'm going to explain why, and then I want to hear your take on on how you feel that has changed. Why you feel like the current generation doesn't well takes the leap of faith where we didn't, even though a lot of my generation are entrepreneurs. We often start working for a company when we graduate. In Suriname, at least, it's often because our parents have a company. So basically, the first thing you do is you kind of start working for your parents' company. Well, also, you are a kind of in a, in a unique situation as well. Yeah. Compared to many others. Many others, yeah. yeah. So, so if, if, it's, if, it, if it's like you're going to take over a company or are going to start your own company, it's often that you kind of start working for the family business. If you don't have the, the fortunate situation that you can, you're able to do that, of course, you're going to work for uh, a company and then try to work up the corporate ladder. And then when you're kind of financially independent enough to make that jump, you make the jump. That's in general, like the conception that most of us used to have when we came out of college or went to university and graduated. It was like, okay, let's build up our, 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 our rec- track record and our job record through working at different companies, building up, getting, getting promoted. And then at a certain point, when you have the financial leverage, when you have leverage in different aspects, you have certain skill sets, you have the network, you're able to start your own business. Like that's the general, or you go to your family company and either you move your way up until you're like CSAC or you start your own thing, which rarely happens. I had that from a very young age. So by the time I was 25, I had started two businesses, aside from working in a family yeah. business as well. Not necessarily successful businesses. That's something that people also misinterpret. But it's the, the experience. Is but it's valuable. the experience. Yeah. But still, even I went into the family. I didn't, that wasn't a plan. The plan was to work for the government. I did a open, open call for say like, hey, I want to work for this ministry. But they responded once after when I've already started working. So I was like, yeah, but now it's, Kind yeah, of it's not little, moving fast enough. It's not moving fast enough. So for me, I still, but I still started in the family business. And for you to just kind of get your degree and say like, I'm going to start my own business. Like how, what, like, what do you think the biggest change was that that's kind of like a normal no, thing? Like, I, I'd say one to answer your question from my situation and, and the second one, what's changed in the generation. So my situation, the, the trigger moment was... Basically, during my, and I think I've, I've told this story before, but during my thesis project, that, that period, I got approached by a, a senior. He was, he was working at an IT company, and they, they were recruiting. And he's like, yeah, you, 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 you might be a decent fit for the company. Why don't you just come in for the interview, right? And that was one. And be, prior to that, I also had issues with my thesis project getting approved because I applied to a, you know, a big company, a corporate company here for the thesis project. And it had to go through some bureaucracy. And I even had, you know, support from one of the teachers that, yeah, a recommendation, but it still that didn't get through. And that's the moment I decided, all right, this bureaucracy wasn't for me. I gave it the middle finger. And that kind of drove my approach into the, going into the interview in this IT company as in, all right, I try the other way, being nice and going through the, the, the systems. And when I went into that interview, I switched the mode. I'm going to go from a personal approach, a more aggressive approach. And that kind of, I'd say fell into good graces with them because they wanted a follow-up interview and they eventually wanted to hire me, but I rejected it because I was still in my thesis project and I already was planning to start my own thing with my brother. So kind of these different moments built upon each other. So it's kind of like the situation where we were taught, this is the process, 
and then you would have to learn the process better and to enable. Yeah, to so get I, I tried to go through the process yeah. as it was intended, and it didn't work out the first time. So it, I gave it the middle finger and I said, I'm going to do it my way. And with, with that mind shift approach, kind of. So there's, so there's a duality in that. Like, I feel there's a pretty much a duality in that. Because on one side, a lot of these demo, these bureaucratic processes are, are complete BS. Like yeah. They factor in certain situations that are not at all relevant. But, and then you have people that understand how those processes work and they benefit the most because they understand how the process works. They kind of use the system to get themselves in situations where they benefit from it, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the people that, whether it's attendees to a conference or employees or clients of companies, they don't necessarily benefit from it because they're just people that know how the system works and get themselves in better positions. So that's one of the things that concerns me a lot. Because right. that way we can't really build society. Right. The system is broken and people avoid addressing the issue that the system is broken. Then on the other hand, you get a situation where you have a generation that says like, I'm going to do it different, but don't take the lessons from the process. And the reason why certain things are taken into the process as kind of a protection of setting a certain standard. So I had a very interesting discussion about this with, with somebody that I've just met recently on dropshipping, for instance. And he was very clear on, on dropshipping that he said, like, for him, it taught him how to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So if he would have to do it again, he would do it again the same way, or at least he would do it again. I didn't think he said the same way, but he would definitely do it again. And he learned a lot from it. And for me, the biggest problem with dropshipping is like, okay, but what's the actual benefit for society. If you say a better distribution, yes. If you say a better customer care, yes. If you bring something in that it makes it better for for the one the person that that actually buys a product, then yes, I fully agree. But if it's just to make money, like for you not to have a, a regular job, then I'm like, okay, but what if everybody starts doing that? How yeah. how everybody does it then that's true. Yeah, how and how how is it going to yeah. And to come back to the second part of the question and what's changed in this generation, you asked me, I take, so I, I gave my situation, there are trigger moments that kind of pushed me in a certain direction, right? And I think what's different in the newer generation is kind of hate to say it, but it's basically exposure to what they see on through social media. It's kind of has changed the paradigm as to what is accepted, I'd say. And because you see so much TikTok videos, YouTube videos, how to, you know, get get through an interview through four easy steps. Use AI, 10 steps to use AI to make this, do this. So, and they only see kind of the people who actually made it. And then again, you have these content creators who actually live on their, their business is the content, but it's actually not the business that they're selling. So I think it's the exposure and the, the evolution of social media and how the younger generation has been exposed to it at a younger age to what's more, I'd say, accepted and also more Western, more American. Yeah, uh, that, wow, that's a good point. It's not necessarily Western, it's very yeah. American. More American. Yes, American, <laughs> because it's not the same, like with the Western philosophy and the American yeah. philosophy. So they're, that, they're that exposure, yeah. that exposure combined with social media and the advancement of technology has kind of, in my opinion, shifted the way the, the newer generation kind of approaches businesses and kind of making money and entrepreneurship if that answers your question. It, it does, it does. And it's interesting because I feel like, and it, it, I mean, you can bring this to politics, you can bring this to entrepreneurship. I mean, it, it's so true on different levels because this is what Gregory says about it. Like people gatekeeping once they reach the top. Yes, this is a very, it's not just in Suriname. It's, it's, it's a very common practice. And 
I think the, the, the issue is with people see those gatekeeping situations and they're like, yeah, I don't want to work there. And all of a sudden, nobody wants to work there. And the company is going through like a branding crisis saying like, hey, why can't we find qualified people or do no longer qualified people? Because I find that very interesting as well. You have to be out there to see what's, what's there. And, and this is true for a localized situation, for a global situation. If you don't know like what's outside of your scope, you're going to base your views on your surroundings. And from that perspective, like the newer generations have a much broader scope of what's possible because through the internet, you kind of see what's going on in Asia. You see what's going on in the US. You see what's going on in Europe. And it's not filtered through the landscape, the traditional media landscape it was once filtered to. Whereas older generations are much more, and it's also a duality, older generations are much more to like, say like, hey, I get my news from a trusted source. Yeah. The but other generation is going more to be localized. Like, yeah. The, me the media is also more localized. Much more localized. It's much more curated, like, like mainstream traditional media, even online is much more curated than, than, than if you go like fully independent. And that brings also, that brings a lot of issues as well, because there's a duality there as well. Once the older, one for one, the older generation has no idea of the information that the younger generations are getting. But secondly, the younger generations are also getting a lot of misinformation or incomplete information as well. So that duality is kind of like, and nobody's addressing that. It's kind of like, and I addressed it recently to, to one of the professors, there was a professor from the University of Utrecht in, in Suriname talking about loyalty of uh, loyalty of your employees from a, pretty much an economic perspective, like, and how loyalty of your employees plays an important role when you're going through difficult situations, like difficult economic situations, COVID, but other difficult economic situations as well. And the question I asked them is like, one of my friends did a research in the Netherlands and that's the, uh, that the average 18 year old Dutch person, uh, Dutch, the average year old Dutch male spends eight hours and around, I think a little over 15 minutes, but a little over eight hours a day consuming media. Yeah, that wouldn't necessarily mean online, but yeah, mostly yeah, online, but consuming media like two hours a day on YouTube. Like that's average for an eight-year-old Dutch man. It's, it's two hours a day, at least two hours a day on, on YouTube. And compared and to then, emails? I, I don't know, but he, he that yeah. one, that, that's what I remember from the research. Ah, uh, so that's, for me, it was very interesting. And my question to the professor was like, hey, but have companies adapted their strategy on a work environment based on the fact that everybody that comes in new has like a workday worth of media consumption. Like how are you factoring in the media consumption within the business? Because either way or not, they're going to have the need for, I see it with my children. My wife and I have the discussion all the time. There's a limit to the amount of videos that they're allowed to watch every day because they get addicted to it. And once they get too addicted to it, yeah. it becomes an, becomes an issue, right? Like, and the algorithm, the algorithm feeds off of and that. They feed, they like, they watch Minecraft videos the whole freaking day. So <laughs> it's insane. And yeah, then I, I have the same thing with my nephew. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, but, and now the interesting part is I made a monetization average. So now they have to do tasks at all, good different <laughs> tasks. They earn a little bit of, of cash. And once the cash reaches the point that they can buy the game, they can actually purchase the game themselves, but hard earn their own money. So putting a kind of a monetary system in place as well to get them at least a little bit knowledgeable about things cost money. And this is how much effort you have to put in to actually get something. But they watch way too much Minecraft videos. Yeah. And then another person that I interviewed, I think in 2018, about making kid-friendly content on YouTube also starts popping up in their recommendations feed. And I'm like, wait, is that Konski? And I'm like, yeah, it's him. It's like, and he has grown from 2018 until now with that formula of making kid-friendly content. 
to, I think, yes. Well, then 20 folded his subscriber base in the past five years just for making this specific kind of videos. And of course, I look at those videos and I'm like, really? It's kind of overacted and those kind of things. But yeah, but really, it works for that's, kids. That's what works for kids, right? So and that's also like, oh, wait, that's kind but, of... But, yeah. but that's also the thing as you grow up, if you look back what you like when you were a kid growing up and you look back the same thing, you cringe now. No, I you, don't. I still watch Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Some things, yeah, but some other things you you think like, oh, all right. But also the, the way you imagine it, because you see some cartoons, some shows as a kid and your imagination kind of fills in the gaps as to make it bigger or more wondrous than it actually is. And if you look at it objectively now, uh, I'm speaking for myself here with background in video photography and I see like, oh, that's so basic. How did I not, how does it look better when I was a kid, right? So no, that but, evolution also plays a role. No, but that's, I think that's what made South Park a success as well. Yeah. It's kind of, it's contradicting yeah. that idea of like, if it has to always evolve because something. No, but South, South Park, yeah. is what, I think what South what made South Park a success, it was tailored to an adult audience and with adult language and adult topics in a paradise get like animation so that's why i think so yeah, yeah it works. works because it, it it takes a different target audience and i feel like okay to to get back to the to the reinventing part because we have people from all across the world joining and from indonesia as well thank you for joining in, Luis. and Rui is as much of a reinventor himself so i think what's the interesting topic about about reinvention is is that it's kind of frowned upon in the sense I've... that in the sense that if you reinvent yourself, it's always like people feel there's a cat to it. Like it's what, not... when you say people, like Yeah. In general. And and you can you can kind of the the you can bust that myth, for instance, if you feel like that's not the case. I I don't feel that or I haven't observed it enough that they frown upon it because like again reinventing yourself can happen in different areas of your life and mainly we've talked about career and those kind of stuff like Ruiz for example is in Indonesia right now and that's a whole different experience culturally for him and also being at the, in the other side of the world also seeing similarities kind of broadens your perspectives when I went to New Zealand that kind of was also is a certain degree of reinvention because you kind of see other things also living somewhere else because I, I kind of live like a full-blown student, you know, had your budget and everything, make do with your monthly stipend or whatever you had. But coming to back to reinventing yourself, there can be certain triggers, as you said, that lead to a reinvention, some external, some internal. External are like COVID, moving to another country. These are elements that force you into like getting having having kids. <laughs> like, yeah, having kids it, yeah. it 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 drastically shifts the trajectory of your life, especially if it's unplanned, right? On the other hand, yeah, okay, definitely more. But even if it's planned, it's still it's still yeah, yeah. On the other hand, sometimes it's also conscious reinventions based on knowledge or information that you've gained through education, through reading a book. I, I have reinvented myself quite a few times thanks to some books because it changed my perspective in how to approach things. At Atomic Habits, it's, it's one that quickly comes to mind and how to build habits. And that's kind of how I feel the workout system. I'm kind of, the four hour work week was one that's heavily influential to me. I, I did the audio book and I think 2013, but I read the actual book 2017 or something. And that kind of, after reading it again, physically, that kind of shifted me again. So as you gain experience, as you gain knowledge, as you gain insights, it kind of 
also forces you to think different. I'm actually reading The Creature from Jekyll Island right now, and this is giving me a totally different perspective on how the whole banking and monetary system works. These past five years, I was already skeptical on it, but reading this gives me another reinvention. So, <laughs> yeah, because you're financially, that the financial reinvention is also something that is something that is going to become a more of a a general topic as as life goes on and these all these situations keep happening. Yeah. Inflation goes out through the world. Definitely, there's a financial change that comes and also a lot through books. I mean, for a lot of people, rich rich that poor that is kind of like a a game changer for them because they approach life yeah. in a different yeah. manner. And it also depends on your upbringing, how you were brought up, how important is money for you, what role does it play? And I think that's a very interesting perspective that and there's a context to which your reinvention takes place. So, I definitely believe that. So um, Greg has a question based yeah. on that. So looking back, having the conscious reinventions, have the conscious reinventions been more effective than the unconscious one? Like atomic habits versus COVID, for example. How is that I for think, you? I think it's different for everyone. And it's very situational because for me, if I look at COVID, it's like it didn't happen aside from not going outside. Yeah, for but, introverts, COVID wasn't really. Yeah, right. So, hard. but it was hard, but it was it wasn't that hard. Yeah, but for for example, in the case of atomic habits, I'd say that had a more was more effective for me. But I can imagine, like, if you're running a certain business that's very logistic heavy, very people heavy, and COVID hits. That forces you to reinvent yourself, to change the way everything goes. And that may, may be more effective for that person in that situation. So I don't think you can compare it as much. It's very contextual on, you know, in, in what mindset and what space you are in. For me, to answer Gregory's question, I don't think they're like, Conscious reinventions that really changed, changed and really hard ones, like especially from a private life kind of work life balance situation. Me deciding to say, like, hey, six, eight in the morning, six, eight in, in the evening are like blocked and are those are really conscious decisions. And that really shapes and how your relationship builds with, with, with your family. And I think. It also differs for people like, how are you brought up? People, I think one of the things that a lot of people underestimate is the importance of family relationships, the importance of having a healthy relationship with your parents in one way or another. Like currently, one of the things that is going on is we're about to have the biggest wealth transfer ever because there's a generation of boomers that is leaving uh, leaving their wealth behind for for a new generation. We don't talk about these kind of things often enough. How much support parents can have in your success in life, how much parents can prepare you for success in life, and how difficult it can be when you don't have that support. I mean, like that's these are things that, like, it's, it was discussed like in one of the viral videos of Gary Vaynerchuk, like comparing yourself to the Kardashians is not really a good way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Look how successful they are. Because basically they came out of a marketing machine, which was propelled by by their mother. So like- I I, want to bring up something there since you mentioned, you know, the the greatest, great wealth transfer through the generations. And something I've read or yeah, read about recently, basically, thanks to, you know, modern times, better living conditions, medical ad- advancements, generations live longer, right? So you, as you mentioned, that the boomers, that's, that generation is, is going into retirement and eventually dying out. And most of the wealth has accumulated in that generation. But then again, the next generation, the X and the Ys, are now, I'd say, in the prime of their workforce, but are still kind of 
the wealth, most of the wealth is still in that boomer generation and they're not dying yet because they're, they're, they're living longer. So basically they, they are kind of struggling more. And as that pressure goes on from generation to generation, you kind of have, I'd say, generation skips because when that older generation finally dies off and the wealth transfers, how does it get, it, it kind of needs to disperse through three generations, basically. And, and that's a whole different reinvention again between parents, siblings, on, on how that's going to happen. So well, what, what's your view on that, that this multi-generational transfer? I think it's, I think it's good. And I think eventually also, it, also, it, 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 it evens out. That's something yeah, I do. No, to, to, to add also, what also happens is the, the world population is plateauing. It's, we, we've hit 8 billion, around 8 billion rapidly in the, the past 100 years. There's and a new one into that and, as well. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's still growing rapidly in some parts of the world. It's, it's, it's still growing. It's declining in other parts of the world, right? And it, it's, yeah, it, it's declining and plateauing in mostly the developed regions, such as Europe, Modern Europe, the US, Japan is a prime example of that. What happens now is that the older generations, they're not part of the productivity anymore. The productivity workforce, they have all the wealth and the newer generations need to take care of them. And then you get things like, you know, social care and all, all those things. So how do you see, we, we talked about reinventing ourselves as an individual, but these modern countries, these modern societies will eventually need to reinvent themselves as well. Because this, that you're going to get kind of societal collapse or very much pressure on the younger generations. Okay. Let's, let's talk in. To, to answer your question, we're going to put in Ruiz's question as well. Can countries reinvent themselves as well? Yes. If we don't reinvent ourselves, we are bound to go through the same cycles that we've already gone through. If Suriname, for instance, doesn't reinvent themselves, we're going to have a similar situation, which is already happening. Like there are some seriously disturbing similarities between what's going on now and the early 90s. Like it's, it's, it's on one hand, it's like, okay, history repeats itself. On the other hand, it's like, hey, come on. And, and the interesting part is that I annoy like previous generations a lot when I ask the question like, but okay, then tell me, what was life in Suriname like in the early 90s? And like, I, I don't get concrete answers like from, from people who've lived those years saying like, hey, this is something that society went through and this is something that particularly pops up and this is what happened in, in 1991 or in 1993, which is significant. I do get it from some people, but largely people don't really remember what went on. And I think one of the things that we shouldn't ask, underestimate is being much more aware of, of things that happened in the past. I'm not a big history buff. I hated history in high school, but I'm continuously more aware of how important it is to know your history and know how to, how I we got where we currently are in the moment. I hated the subject history in school, but I've, yeah, I've actually yeah. come to love history. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and, and I think subject that's, history. And I think I that's history. one of the biggest problems with reinventing ourselves and why we have such a problem with reinventing ourselves because the school system is outdated. Like this is something that we don't talk about enough, but it's really, really outdated. And countries can reinvent themselves and it takes a very drastic change to do that, like Singapore, I think Singapore is the most used version of, of a reinvention, but there are other, a lot of yeah. other. Well, in, in Singapore's case, it happened with a firm hand and through certain families, right? It was just like... It was kind of, if, if you look back at it, it was kind of... A sparse knowledge. It's kind of almost a dictatorship kind of lifestyle that you're going to have to use. You're yeah. going to have to minimize 
uh, possibility. The power. Yeah. I mean, and the problem is, I mean, there are a lot of world leaders that want to do something similar, but they get stuck in, in their in their power or they get stuck in the control that they have or they don't fully execute on behalf of changing society because it's it's kind of much of a martyr kind of role. Like, it's like you kind of die inside for others to become more. And I've recently, recently considered this. So when asking, when Ruiz asked the question like, can Suriname do this? Yes. And there's a big but. You're not going to change it. If you're going to do the same thing, it's going to have the same results. So while a plane is frying above my head, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dispense my knowledge now. So if we really want to reinvent the country, we have to do something drastic, which has not been done before in a way that it has not been done before. So an interesting way to reinvent Suriname is to completely change from import to export. And I'm going to give you the extremist example. I'm currently one of the Caribbean islands where when I go grocery shopping, the local chips is more expensive than the imported one. Here we are. And I'm not saying this is going to work, but it's just to, to give an idea. The local fabricated chips, which looks the same in Suriname supermarkets, is more expensive than the imported internationally acclaimed brands of ships, just, of, just to give you an idea. So that's one of the ways, but I, I mean, if you know how the import export system works in Suriname, you know, that's one of the biggest problems. So that's one really good way how Suriname can reinvent itself. The second great way Suriname can reinvent itself is through change of the, of the system of people working for the state. Like we know that's a big issue. We know that there are too many people working for the state to make it feasible. The salaries of people working for the state are almost at much at the end. Yeah. Um, I want to quickly interject yeah. there. You're mentioning okay. that the house and you, you, you mentioned before, yeah. there needs to be a martyr individual. Yeah. Well, or it doesn't have to be a martyr, but it has to be a decision yeah, you, from you, the top. You, you, you need a strong. Yeah. Someone with their resources, the conviction yeah. and the vision. To and, be able to do this. And, you know, basically influence over key individuals. Or, 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 or a revolution. Or a revolution. But I don't think yeah. we, we want to go that well. So the, the, the second one that's like when we're talking about reinventing Suriname is, is actually a, a much known one. There are too many people working for the government. And here's the interesting thing. Often... It's not going to be a discussion like, how are you going to be able to do that? Like their concepts, like the Dutch used the Melkenbana, where they kind of took people who worked for the state and kindly slowly transitioned them into the private sector. In this way, I wouldn't call it a success because as soon as that Mr. Melkert left kind of the state and stopped working for the state, they kind of transitioned it out and it was done. And it was kind of taken out of the system. So it didn't necessarily work. And also the issue there that you would have is like, if it's the high quality employees that work for the government who deliver good work, you're only weakening the government. And if you take out the lesser productive ones and try to reinstate them in the private sector, private sector is going to be like, yeah, but we don't, we don't want them. Right? So it's, it's kind of, but this is, but traditional paths don't work. So you can't take a path that has already been tried. You have to reinvent the way to get those people working for the government out of the government, government governmental system. So that's the, the second way how you can reinvent here now. And then there was a third way how we could reinvent, and people are not gonna like me for this one. Uh, I'm a pretty consider myself a pretty much big nationalist, but if we really want to reinvent ourselves, we have to consider dual nationals. 
dual nationalities. We have to consider that. Like, we have to, at a certain point, realize like, hey, we're too small. We don't have enough resources. We're fighting internally for things that are being pushed upon us. So another country or an international organization like IMF is going to say like, you have to do this. And they know very well that if the government does that, there will be a divide within the country. And the divide only gets bigger. And instead of focusing on like, hey, we're in this ship together, it's kind of like a he says, he says situation where it's like, yeah, but it's your fault. I mean, you are doing a terrible job. While somebody from the outside that is kind of putting us in this situation. And like one of the few ways out of this is accepting dual nationality, making it easier for other people because there are 600 people living in Suriname. There are probably about 600,000 600, people living in Suriname. There are probably 600,000 more people from Surinamese descent living outside of the world. But I can guarantee you there's over 5 million people in the world that truly love Suriname and would be willing to put in their money and invest in Suriname if they would be able to get Surinamese citizenship. And this is something that we have to overcome as well. And that's also part of reinventing yourself is accepting that certain things that you always have thought like, yes, but I'm proud of this and whatever yeah, happens, that not able to let that go. The if you want part. to truly reinvent yourself, you're going to have to be able to set your pride aside. And we're not able to do that so far. And I think from a personal perspective, that's a lot easier when you have to reinvent yourself. Yeah, because you don't have the the different voices in your head. Yeah, you have multiple voices in your head, but it's manageable versus a country where basically split personality. Every, every, everybody is pushing. Everybody has their own agenda. And yeah. often that agenda is not actual change for, for the country. So that makes it really, really difficult. But, but also survival and oh, oh, yes. own, own agenda and, you know, protecting your own. That's it. You, you can't fault everyone for it, but because they, they're not aware of the broader, the macro picture. Uh, that's where skills come in, right? Yeah. And, 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 and that's why I mentioned again, you will need someone strong with the conviction to lead, with the resources to lead, and with the right keys in certain areas to kind of push or trigger that, that event. And transition is going to be painful to a certain degree. Okay, last question on this, and you can translate it to a, a country, you can translate it to a company, you can translate it directly to yourself for reinventing yourself. How much of a role do you feel getting help plays into the success of the reinvention? What kind of help? It can be any kind of help. It could be getting a mentor, paying somebody to do part of the job that you're not as good as, Getting a second opinion from somebody to see if you're on the right path. It can be any kind of help. It could be yeah. having a partner that does something that you're less good at. But how does, when you reinvent yourself, how important is it to get help, get support? I would frame it as the support is helpful, but I think more important, since you mentioned some examples like mentor, is having mirror a soundboard to kind of bounce back what you're trying to do and kind of keep you accountable to what you're actually doing. I think that's going to be the biggest help aside from the actual doing the stuff. Of course, that helps, but I think that's the most important factor to make sure that you stay true to what should, why you're reinventing. I think that's a way, great way to close off today's episode. I says he loved that. So it's a good, good moment to close off the episode. We're going to do another one-on-one -on -one Diego and Jean-Luc social confos next week. 
drop after, in the comments what topic you'd be interested well, in. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you because I decided. No, I, I, I'm asking the viewers. Okay. No, now, okay. Fine. Drop in the comments now. We're, we're going to figure out something, but drop in the comments right now what topic you'd like us to cover next week in our one-on-one. -on -one. If you don't do that, Diego doesn't come back on screen. He, he, he will refuse to come back on screen if you don't drop a topic in for next week's social comforts. But after next week, we'll have back our usual kind of setup where we have a week every week. So we really enjoyed having you here today. For those listening to the rerun of this episode, thank you so much for tuning in as well. And we will be back next week, same place, same time. And for brand new social comforts. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and lots of love. Enjoy yourself. Thank you so much. <laughs> Say goodbye. Bye-bye. Swai, swai.